All right, how we doing, church? Thank you so much for taking time to connect with us today. Good morning to our Creston campus. It was great to see all of you last weekend. Hello to those of you watching at St. Greg's and everybody watching at home. If you have a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. Genesis chapter 25 is where we're going to start today. we we'll jump around a few places through the same story um, in Genesis, but we'll start in 25. Uh, this is week number two of our series called Hurt People, Hurt People. And last week we introduced you to this idea of overcoming church hurt. And today we're going to continue talking about hurt. Uh, I'm going to set up today with a little confession because I know you love it when I do the confessions. Again, it makes you just feel a little bit better about yourself because I'm really jacked up. Um, but me, uh, you might not know this about me. Some of you might know this. Um, and uh, some of you might want to make fun of me uh, for this, but, but don't. Uh, but he, here's, here's my confession. I am a secret Taylor Swift fan. Uh, I am. Um, Chloe, my little girl, this is why you can't make fun of me. Uh, my little girl, when she was little, um, she loved Taylor Swift. And she used to come into my office, and she used to turn on her music, and we would dance. And sing. she would, like, ask me to stop doing whatever I was doing. And, like, Daddy, let's dance. And, like, when your little girl asks you to stop and dance, you better freaking dance with her. And so we would dance and sing. It was great. And so um, years ago, we tried to get concert tickets um, in Indianapolis, and, and we couldn't get them. And they were, we could have got them, but they were way, way, way expensive. And Mary said no because she doesn't love Chloe. And um, so that's, that's, that's 100% not true. Um, but uh, so she didn't let us get them. And so recently, um, you know, the, the big Taylor Swift tour thing is going on, and uh, we missed out on some tickets um, for here and um, couldn't get them. And so she just announced that she was going to like be um, in other places. And so Chloe, long, I'll make a really long story short or I'll try to. Um, Chloe sat in digital line for hours and hours and hours one day to get a code that perhaps would get her um, a chance to get in line to get tickets for next November, like so a year and um, from this November in Indianapolis. And so she got in and she, she, got, a, she got a code um, or she got in the line to get a code. And then the next day she got a code. And then the day after that, she sat in line for like hours, like hours that morning. And there's videos of this that we're not going to show right now. Um, there are other videos that I didn't even know existed. Um, anyway, um, she sat in line and she got Taylor Swift concerts. And so Chloe and I are going to see Taylor Swift in Indianapolis, and we're sitting in VIP front row, like crazy, right? Um, and so uh, it's, 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 really, it's really cool. And you're saying, Ryan, where are you going with this? Well, Taylor Swift sings a song called Shake It Off. Shake it off, uh-uh, shake it off. I, I can't sing it like she can. But the title of that song has a lot to do, not the song itself necessarily, but the title of that song has a lot to do with the message today. Because shaking it off, like it's not an easy thing to do, but, but sometimes it's the best thing that we need to do. 
Um, see, the, the first time I can really remember hearing somebody tell me that, tell, tell me, hey, Ryan, shake it off. Um, growing up, I wasn't allowed to play football. Uh, I played soccer. And so I was playing soccer, and one day I got blindsided by another player and completely knocked out. Like the game was still going on, and I was down on the ground and just out, and I don't remember anything. And I remember my coach screaming at me as I'm coming to, shake it off, get up, get back in the game. Most people called him coach. I called him dad. Um, So anyway, my dad had the advice of shake it off, which you don't shake off a blind side, do you? Like when you get knocked out, something comes and hits you and just totally just takes you out of the game. Like you don't just get up and you don't just shake that off. Now, here's the reason I bring all that up. Number one is to let you know there are people here in this room, there are people in Crescent, people watching online, that you, maybe it hasn't been a sport blindside. But you've been blindsided in life. Like, like you've been blindsided. You got blindsided the day you showed up to work and you found out it was your last day at work and, and you didn't know it. See, that's a, that's a blindside, right? You got blindsided when you walked into the house and you saw the divorce paper sitting in on the counter. That's a, that's a blindside, right? You got blindsided when you found out that your kids had a drug problem or, or, or maybe you got blindsided when your drug problem got discovered. It's a blindside, There's not one single person here, whether you're watching this right now or actually sitting in a room somewhere that hasn't been blindsided by a phone call, a text, an email, a face-to-face conversation that's left you feeling completely dazed. And when you get into that situation, listen, I'm going to acknowledge something. It hurts. It really, really, really hurts. And there's nothing anybody can say to take away the hurt. And so, Pastor Ryan, how do we deal with the hurt? I mean, Ryan, I, I have that hurt. Like, the church caused some hurt. I'm, I'm hurt. Well, I'm going to tell you what my coach told me and what Tay-Tay sings about. You got to shake it off. You, you do. You, you got to shake it off. Now, that's insensitive. If I just say, hey, shake it off, and we pray and go home, because you would leave going, I don't, I don't even know how to do that. You'd be out in the parking lot like, it's not working, right? You don't know how to do it. And so, not only am I going to tell you to shake it off today, but I'm going to teach you kind of like how to take, shake it off or why we should shake it off. And, and I'm going to teach you, like, like I'm, I'm going to, I just want to teach you through this. And hopefully by the end of the service, you're going to walk out of this place equipped to shake off what the enemy tried to put on you to rob the abundant life that Jesus Christ has promised you. Okay? So, in order to do this, We're going to go to an Old Testament story. It's about a dude named Jacob and his brother Esau. They're brothers, but they don't get along at all. Watch this. Genesis chapter 25, verse 24 is where we'll start. And when the time time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. Talk about getting blindsided. Like back then, there was no ultrasound, right? You didn't get to to know at month like three or four, like, hey, you're going to have twins. You didn't have time to, (laughs) you didn't have time to prepare. It was like right then and there. Watch what happens. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. Let me pause. Babies are ugly when they're born. Now you're going to lean over and you're going to tell your kid, "Uh uh-uh, Baby, you weren't ugly. No, you, you weren't. You need to know, especially like right now, if your mom is telling you that, you're ugly. Like ba- babies, like babies are not pretty right when they're born. You don't know whether to hug it or send it back to outer space because it looks like an alien. But, but this one, this one, watch this. Red and covered with 
thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau, which literally means hair. Hey, what's your name? Hair. <laughs> the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. Now, moms, that couldn't have been comfortable, right? That, that had to have sucked. So they named him Jacob, which means deceiver. H- how weird would it be if you were rolling around with your twin boys, dressed up just, just alike, and you're walking down high V, hey, what are your kids' names? Hair and deceiver. Oh, my kids can't play with your kids, right? Watch this. Isaac, that's the dad, Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. So that's typically when you become a grandpa, but he was kind of like a late bloomer or whatever. Verse 27, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He, he was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. In other words, they were nothing alike. Esau was a man's man, wore a trucker's hat and a camouflage jacket, Levi jeans, wore red wing boots, listened to Oliver Anthony sing about Richmond, north of Richmond, Jason Aldean and Zach Bryan drove a Ram 1500, hunted things while chewing tobacco. That was Esau. Jacob, not so much. Jacob wore skinny jeans and knitted his own scarf, drove a Prius, hung out at home with his mama watching the Hallmark Channel, right? The different... Very different. And there became a problem. <laughs> there was this like rivalry that developed between them. And, and you would think that like Esau could just like squash Jacob and take it all away. But it, did, it didn't work because mom and dad, like they just, they just didn't help. Because watch this, verse 28. Isaac loved Esau, loved the manly man, because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So, so there's this whole problem. Well, as they grew up, Esau and Jacob kind of got after each other the whole time. Like there's this whole, you read the story, they're always kind of getting after each other and they're kind of going back and forth and there's this, you know, Isaac and, and Rebecca are playing behind the scenes and, and Isaac is, is, is getting ready to, to die, he's getting ready to pass away. Now, in this particular culture, in this time period, the father would pronounce a blessing over the firstborn child and the firstborn child got the, the biggest inheritance, the, they got the biggest blessing. Now that's important because the blessing in this time period was considered to be incredibly prophetic. And so what the father spoke over you was going to happen to you. And so Isaac told Esau one day, he said, hey, it's time for you to get the blessing that I give to the firstborn son. You need to go out, find some wild game, kill it, bring it in, cook it up, we'll eat it, and then I will give you the blessing. And so Esau goes out, he gets up in the tree stand, getting ready to kill something, and Rebecca heard about it, and she comes and she tells Jacob, Jacob, I want you to get the blessing reserved for your brother Esau, so dress up like Esau. Put on some furry clothes to make you seem hairy, because Isaac's eyesight was going really bad by this time. You go in and pretend to be Esau. In other words, lie and cheat in order to steal the blessing. So Jacob goes in, while Esau's out hunting and steals the blessing that was reserved for Esau. And and this is what the blessing was that Isaac pronounced over Jacob that should have been pronounced over Esau. Watch this. This We're going to skip ahead to chapters 27, verse 28. From the dew of heaven and the richness of earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. That's good right there. That's, That's really good, but it gets better. 
May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed. All who bless you will be blessed. That's a blessing. Like that, that's, that's amazing. And so Jacob gets that blessing and then he leaves. Well, then Esau comes in. He's like, hey, dad, I'm here for the blessing. And Isaac's like, Dude, I already gave you the blessing. And Esau's like, no, you didn't. Like, I was out in the tree stand. I was killing the thing that you told him I had to kill, and I've cooked it, and here it is. We're going to eat it. And basically, they found out that Jacob had deceived Isaac and robbed Esau of his blessing. And so Esau throws a fit. Like, he just, he starts carrying on. He starts crying. He just completely breaks down. And this is in verse 38. Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept, because this was serious. This was very, very, very serious in this culture. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, you will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. That's dreadful. Like, that's awful. You will live by your sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you decide, this is huge, but when you decide, Esau, when you decide, when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. In other words, Esau, it's going to be rough. And it's going to be hard. And, and I know you're hurting. But you've got a decision to make. And the decision you have to make is when and where are you going to shake it off. Because Esau, the decision is in your hands. And my advice, shake it off. So let's walk through. Let's walk through this. How do we shake off the hurt? How do we shake off when somebody who's hurting and broken has, has hurt you or somebody who's not hurting and broken has just caused you hurt or you've been hurt in, in a church? And, and listen, listen, listen. I'm not trying to minimize any hurt. I'm not trying to minimize any pain that you have. But I want to walk us through how we can begin to get in the mindset of shaking it off. Number one, if you're going to shake it off, you got the decision to make. Just like Esau. That's what Isaac told Esau. When you decide... You and I have a decision to make. There, there are people in this room, people who are watching online, people in Crescent, you're crippled by making decisions. Like there are some of you, you changed outfits two to three times this morning before you came to church because you can't make a decision. There are people in our church that after the service is over, you'll be in the parking lot for the next two hours. Not because you love our church, but because somebody looked at you and said what? Where would you like to eat, <laughs> right? And then you're crippled by making the decision. It's, it's kind of like, here's a good illustration. It's kind of like a possum. Here's another possum. Them things is ugly, aren't they? Like they are, they're like one of the ugliest things around. Somebody's going to be like, oh, they're so cute. If you ever catch one of these things, like in a cage, like they will hiss at you. They're mean. They get into your trash. Like we don't, we don't usually see them running around like this. We see them like this. That, that's usually how we see them, right? Like, let me, let me tell you why a possum gets hit all the time. There are many people here in our church, you've hit a possum. You didn't swerve to get away from the possum. You hit the possum, right? Because that's another message for another time. Now, why do possums get hit, especially at night? It, it's because they have an incredible sense of smell, 
but they don't have a great sense of sight. And so when you approach a possum and the car lights hit it and, and, and they realize like, oh no, like I'm in trouble. That's why they run from side to side and then they like get in the middle and they just stop and freeze and they're like, bam. That's why they get plowed over because they can't make a decision. It, it's like they get out in the road and they remember like, oh, I've got an incredible sense of smell. And they're like, what's that? Diesel, boom, right? That, that's the last thing that goes through their mind. People are like that. We're captivated or captured by the fact that we can't make a decision, and and we can't make the the decision to break free, to break away from the hurt that's been caused to us. Now, why can't we make a decision to break free? Well, I'm going to share with you three reasons why we can't make the decision. Letter A is the lies. Like, we believe the lies that have said to us. Everybody in this room at some point, has believed a lie. My dad loved to tell lies. When when you're a kid, your parents never tell lies. They always tell the truth. Everything they say is 100% the truth, right? And so my dad, I used to get, when I was little, I used to get up out of bed all the time um, because I was always scared. And so I always wanted to go see my mom and dad. And so I'd be like, hey, I I need water or whatever. Come sit back in my room or, or whatever. And so one night, my dad got tired of it. And he didn't threaten me anymore. This is what he said to me. This is an honest to God, true story. He told me, Kool-Aid man lived underneath my bed. Because for some reason, many of you know this, for some reason when I was a kid, I was petrified of the Kool-Aid man. I don't know why. I don't. But my dad told me one night, he said, Ryan, listen, son, I I didn't want to ever tell you this. But the Kool-Aid man lives under your bed. Don't look. Don't look, because if you look, then he'll get you. Now, Ryan, I, I love you. But if you get out of bed, I cannot protect you from the Kool-Aid man. I didn't leave my room for 45 days. Like, I mean, like, he, le- he told me he leaves in the morning. I didn't ever see him leave because I wasn't watching. Like, the covers are always pulled up over my head. But you know what? The lie kept me in bed. I, I, didn't, I didn't move. I didn't leave because I was scared. In other words, a lie kept me locked into a certain lifestyle. Do you know that lies will keep us locked in? And you might say, well, Pastor Ryan, give me an example of a lie. All right, here's a lie. You'll never change. You'll always be this way. You know, your mom was this way. Your dad was this way. It's just in your blood. It's who your family is. Here's another one. You'll never break that addiction. You'll always struggle in that area of your life. You'll, you'll never have what those people have. Those are lies that we believe. And, and most of the time, it, it's the lies that we hear from somebody else, and then we begin to tell them to ourselves over and over and over again. Nobody has ever lied to you more than you, ever. And we get crippled because of lies. We can't break free. The second reason that we can't make a decision and break free is because of comfort. We, we, just, we just get comfortable with comfort. I, I've said this so many times, and, and I had this problem this morning. <laughs> but my favorite place to be is my bed. I love my room, especially it's hot outside right now. I love my room to be ice cold, and I have big, thick comforters that just kind of envelop me. And I, just, I just love it because it's comfortable. Now, that's normal. But do you know that there are people that get comfortable with dysfunction? Listen, this is going to sting. But there are some of you who have gotten comfortable with the label somebody else put on you. 
And you say, well, you know, if that's what they're going to call me, then this is just probably who I should be. And we become comfortable with being a victim. And you've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. I'll say this for the rest of my ministry until I die. Victims never walk in victory. Victims never walk in victory. Listen, you can be a victim, and you can find people who will feel sorry for you. You can have people crying for you. You can have people praying for you. You can hold on to the victim status. But you know what? At at the end of the day, I would encourage you to let go of victim status and shake it off. Because if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ lives inside of you, and nobody on the planet has had the right to scream victim more than Jesus Christ. Think about it. He was falsely betrayed, falsely accused, falsely arrested, falsely condemned, crucified, and they put him in a grave. But, be, but Jesus proved victims don't stay in the grave. By the power of the resurrection, he walked out. And because he walked out, we can walk out. We don't have to be victims. We can walk in victory. So you can hold on to victim status. That's fine. But you're not holding on to it because that's what Jesus Christ has spoken into you. You're holding on to it because that's what you want you to be. Letter C, it's frustration. Can't break free because we just get frustrated. You ever get frustrated? Do, do, you, do you know when you're trying to make spiritual progress, you're going to experience frustration. We all experience frustration. There's not a person watching this right now that doesn't know what frustration is. If you've ever tried to potty train your kid or housebreak your dog or Housebreak your husband. <laughs> there are all kinds of things that are frustrating. But frustration should not hold us back. But do you know that the more we work to not be frustrated, the harder it is? And, and, and this is what we end up saying. Well, I tried. I tried, and I just, I just, I just couldn't do it. Think, think about it like this. I, I, remember, I remember my dad teaching me how to tie my shoe. I don't, I don't know how smart you are, but I didn't learn it on the first time. I didn't learn it on the second time. As a matter of fact, I think they bought me Velcro shoes until I was in sixth grade. Um, but, but, I, but eventually, eventually I got it. And, and this morning when I woke up and I got ready to come to church, I put on my shoes and I tied my shoes. I didn't even think about it. I just did it. Frustration is nothing more than a situation you're in right now. But you don't have to stay there. You can keep pushing through. Listen, you can tell the people that keep pushing through and the people that just give up. But because the people that keep pushing through, they got a smile on their face. And, and the people that give up, they hold on to that victim status. Which leads to point number two. We have to break the strongholds in our lives. We have to break the strongholds in our lives. You know what a stronghold is? A stronghold is an area that we slowly but surely surrender to the enemy. And before we know it, he's got control of that area in our life. I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a goofy example because this gets kind of hard and when you really think about what area he has in your life. I'll use a food illustration. Um, pumpkin pie blizzards. They're not out yet, but I know they're coming. And I'm terrified because when they get here, they have a stronghold in my life. I think Dairy Queen is probably putting crack in these things because it's addictive. I, I, I remember the first time somebody told me about it. I was like, man, that looks really good. That sounds great, man. I love pumpkin pie. I love blizzards. Ice cream. Oh, my gosh, man, it's going to be so good. I'll get a small. I get it. I did. I got a small. And that thing was amazing. And so the, <laughs> the next day, 
Like I had to drive by Dairy Queen every day to get to work. And so the next day, honest to God, true story, I'm driving by Dairy Queen and I was like, huh, I don't think I'm going to get another one of those pumpkin pie blizzards. And so I pulled in and this is what I said. Um, I like a small pumpkin pie blizzard. And they said, did you say large? Yes, I did. I I did. (laughs) Two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. Every single day. Pumpkin pie blizzard. Large. Then I went to the gym. Stepped on the scale. And the scale said, nope. (laughs) How many of you ever got mad at a scale? Your scale ain't right. (laughs) Like it's always the scale's fault, right? So anyway, I had to stop going to Dairy Queen and eating pumpkin pie blizzard every day. I could, have, I could have continued down that behavior, but it wasn't the devil holding me down, making me eat pumpkin pie blizzards. It was my decision. And so that's why I love the promise that we're given in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, where Paul says, we use God's mighty, mighty weapons. Whose weapons? Whose? God's. God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, God's mighty weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. What, what, are, what are God's mighty weapons? Well, let, let me share with you a few. The first one is prayer. Prayer. <laughs> I am fascinated with YouTube preachers. Used to be TV, but I don't have cable anymore, so I don't watch like Daystar and all that other weird stuff um, anymore. Um, but I spent two hours of my day watching YouTube preachers on Monday, like just two hours. Just, uh, it, was, it was horrible. I know you're thinking, you going to share? Um, nope. But I'll, but I'll tell you a story um, about one of the guys, and I'll tell you who he was. But it, it, like as I think about this, and even as I was putting this together um, to make fun of it, I was thinking, well, ah, I mean, I, maybe he's right. I don't know. Maybe. But, but he said this. He said, he's preaching to his big church. When y'all go to Walmart... You need to be praying for the good parking spots. And I'm like, first of all, man, when you go to Walmart, you don't need to be praying for the parking spot. You need to be praying that somebody's at the cash register station because only one of them things open, man, and all the cell phones are flashing red. And uh. But he was like, he's like, when you get there, you pray for the good parking spots. And then when you get inside, you need to pray for the TVs to be on sale. I mean, maybe, maybe. But, I mean, I don't, I don't think when Jesus was dying on the cross, when he was bleeding out, I don't think that he said right before he said, it is finished, I don't think he was said, my people shall park at Walmart and buy cheap TVs because of my debt. I don't, I don't think, not, not once again. Now listen, I know some people are going to get offended, and, and that's cool. That's all right. If you want to pray for that stuff, listen, j- just pray. But I'm going to tell you, prayer isn't to use God to get what we want. Prayer is an opportunity for God to change us. Prayer is an opportunity for us to be able to see things the way God sees things. In fact, one of the most powerful prayers that you can pray, and I tell you this all the time, is God, help me see, help me, help me see like you see. Because when we see like God sees, we're more likely to do what God says. And so prayer doesn't change our parking situation. Prayer changes our mindset. It's literally an opportunity where we ask God to change the way I see, change the way I feel, change the way I think, change my heart. God, change my mind. And that right there will break a stronghold every single time. 
I'll tell you again, I've told you this a thousand times. You've been coming to this church for any amount of time at all. You've heard me say this before. The most dangerous prayer that you can pray, and and you don't want to pray this, but, but if you want to try it, give it a shot, is God, teach me to see people like you see people. You don't want to pray that, husbands. You know why you don't want to pray that? You know why? Because then you're going to have to start loving your, your wife like Christ loves the church. Wives, you don't want to pray that because then you're going to have to start having to have respect towards your husband. You, you don't want to pray this prayer unless you mean business. You don't want to pray it because then you're going to have to start being nice to annoying people. Feel that? Feel the tension that that brings? They call Central Feel Good Church. Letter B, letter B is confession. Confession. Do you know that the church should be the safest place in the world to admit that you have a problem? I used to say this, and I used to think this, and I used to preach this, but, but I don't anymore. I, I used to say that the world has more grace than the church. That's not true anymore. Because when people start getting canceled over stuff that happened to them 10, 20, 30 years ago, that's just stupid. The, the church, though, has a wide open opportunity to show grace. And, and, and I know the reason. Listen, I know the reasons why nobody wants to confess at church. Because you feel like you're going to become a sermon illustration. Or, or you're going to be the subject of the gossip chain, a.k.a. the prayer chain. But I'm telling you, listen, 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 listen. I was going to say, everybody free. Everybody in this place. Everybody at this church. Everybody at Creston. Everybody watching this right now. Every single one of you is jacked up. Look at the person sitting next to you right now. They're, they're, they're jacked up. Now look at the other person because you came with that person. Like the, they're, they're all jacked up. I will go ahead and tell you, you can't, listen, I've been in ministry for 20-some years now, and I've heard it all. I've heard it all on why we won't confess in church, but listen to me. Until you get real, you can't get healed. And and, and I know why you don't want to get real. I I do. But see, this church, and, and I can only speak for this church, this church is a place for hurting, busted up people. Like, I want you to think about it like this. If you left here today and you got in a car accident on your way home, if you got in a wreck and you got all cut up and bleeding, you broke your arm, you broke your leg, you you needed stitches, you needed to be put back together, they came and they picked you up in the ambulance, none of you would say, hey, um, before you take me to the ER, uh, can you take me to my house so I can change clothes and do my hair? That that, that would be weird, wouldn't it? No, you're like, get me to the place that can help me. And listen, if you're looking for a museum for saints, this ain't your place. But if you're looking for a hospital for sinners, this is the place where you need to be. You've been church hurt. Cool. So has everybody else in the room. We've all been there. I'm just saying it's okay to confess. And if you need to talk to somebody after service, we have people on our prayer team every single week. And you're not going to surprise these people. You're not. In fact, if you keep holding on to it and you don't talk about it, you can't get healed. Confession. The last thing that we use to break the strongholds is worship. Worship. Now, can we all agree that sometimes it's easy to worship and sometimes it's hard, right? When you get blindsided, when, when you're hurt, like church hurt or relationship hurt or spiritually hurt, it's hard to worship, isn't it? And, and I'm not talking singing. I'm talking about coming back to church. I'm talking about taking place in, in corporate worship all together, like singing and, and preaching and being in connect groups and, and all the things and that all translate out into ways to worship, whether it's giving, attending, all of those things. It's hard when you're hurt. It's hard to worship when you're hurt. So how do you worship when you're hurt? How do you do it? How do you, how do you, how do you worship 
when the doctor tells you terrible news that you never thought you would hear? How do you, how do you worship when you lose your job? How do you worship when your life's falling apart? How, how do you worship? Well, for me, and, and this is hard, but God has simply showed me that I can worship based on where I could have been had he not intervened. Let me, let me set it up like this. When you're driving down the road and you're approaching a red light and it turns red, you stop, right? That, that's what you do. When you're driving down the road and it's green, what do you do? You, you go. Now, let me just pause and address a couple of people who may be in Creston, um, a couple of people probably in this room, at least one I know of in this room right now. Don't anticipate it turning yellow. If it's green, go. Because when you slow down, it messes up the people behind you, right? And when you're driving down the road and there's nobody in front of you and the light turns yellow, what do you do? You go faster. I know there's a couple people that'll say, slow down. That's because your teenager's sitting with you right now. But you don't. So anyway, um, one time I was driving down the road and the light turned yellow and Chloe was in um, the car with me and I was about to punch it. And something hit me. And, and I wasn't having a good dad moment. It just, the whole thing was just a bad thing. But I, was, but I just had this sense of like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't run the red light. And I can remember this like yesterday. I took my foot on the gas, put my foot on the brake, and I slowed down. And in my mind, I can still see it. Like I, I, can, I can still time it. Had I run that yellow light, there was a semi on the other side that ran the red light, and it would have T-boned us on Chloe's side. And so in that moment, you know what I did? I worshiped. And I worship God because of what he delivered me from. At the end of the day, the reason I tell that, and I could give you a lot of stories in that line in those regards, but if you can't worship him for where you are, maybe you can worship him because of what he delivered you from. You ever thought of it that way? Some of you in this room, you should be in the hospital. You should be in a mental institution. You should be in the gutter. Some of you should be sick. Some of you maybe even should be dead. But because of God and his mercy and the way he intervened and when he moved in time, even when you didn't see him moving, he was moving. Even when you didn't think he was faithful, he was faithful. If you can't worship God for what he's doing, worship God for what he delivered you from. Amen? Because if you're in this room, he delivered you from something. Break the strongholds. Worship breaks the strongholds in our life. Last but not least, number three, is we've got a future to take. One of the things that bothers me so badly in the church world is the way that Christians hurt each other. The way that wounded people wound others. The way you've heard it said that Christians are the only people on the planet who will shoot their wounded. It, it's, it's the way that Christians treat an injury. Like when you get injured and, and you get hurt as, as a Christian, you get put out of the game for the rest of your life. Like people don't want you around. People don't want to see you. And you, you don't want to get back in the game. You get hurt and you want to, you want to run away. And, 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 and think about this. You, you ever seen somebody playing football when they get injured? What do you want them to do? Like, you want them to do what? You want them to get better. You want them to get back into the game because they help your team to do better. But so many Christians don't want people to come back into the game. But listen, if you're not dead, God's not done. You still have a future. No matter what others say about you, you still have a future. Esau did. Remember? 
Esau? Esau shook it off. Watch what happens after he shook it off. I don't have time to read you the, the whole thing of how he did it and why. You can go back and read, read that. But he shook it off just like Isaac told him to. Watch this. Genesis chapter 36, verse 1. This is the account of the descendants of Esau, also known as Edom. He didn't like being named Hare, so he went down to the courthouse, changed his name. <laughs> Esau took his wives. <laughs> can we talk about that for, for a minute? Have you read the Old Testament before? It's like, they had wives. Solomon had 300 wives, like wives. And, and I get asked all the time, Pastor Ryan, why do we go from wives in the Old Testament to wife in the New Testament? It's simple. Wives means mothers-in-law. If you ain't laughing, that's because you're sitting with her right now. I just, it's awkward. I, anyway, let's just jump down to verse 6. There's lots of names here. Took his wives, his children, his entire household, along with his livestock and cattle, all the wealth. What? He, he, he was told he was going to be away from the riches of life. Unless he did what? Shook it off. How did he accumulate this wealth? He shook it off. He had relationships. He was told he couldn't. But he had relationships because he shook it off. He had a life. Because he shook it off. All the wealth he had acquired in the land of Canaan and moved away from his brother Jacob. There was not enough land to support them both because of all the livestock and possessions they had acquired. So Esau, also known as Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir. Eventually, Edom became the Edomites, which became an entire nation. God brought a miracle out of a mess because Esau shook it off. We've got a future. You've got a future. Now, I know what it's like to feel like it's over. But no matter what others say, no, no matter how badly they hurt you, you have a future. See, they, whoever the they are in, in your life, they labeled you an addict. They labeled you a failure. They labeled you forgotten. They labeled you unknown. They, they labeled you. And you've let labels limit you and who you are and who Jesus has called you to be. But I'm telling you today, you need to shake it off because you have a future. You need to realize, I've got a future. And guess what? Other people don't get to determine the calling and the destiny and the anointing that God has on your life. God has more for you than you even have for you right now. And at this point, You've got to shake off the hurt, the pain, the guilt, the shame. You've got to shake it off. And by the power of Jesus Christ in you, you can. You can live an abundant life. You can live with the power of the resurrection flowing out of you. Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is and what he's doing in you and through you. You've been blindsided. But because of Jesus, you can overcome. Let's pray.